John eleven twenty five. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Is that good news or what? The resurrection of Christ is the greatest power ever loosed on planet Earth. The greatest comeback in the history of the world is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And people love comeback stories, like when David beat Goliath. We love that kind of odds. When the underdog ends up in the national championship and wins, we love that story. Quarterback Joe Montana of the San Francisco 49ers led 31 fourth quarter comebacks during his career. People still love Joe Montana. Years ago, Sports Illustrated did an issue on the top 10 comebacks in all of our history. They included in their article people like Muhammad Ali, plus even non-sports issues um, made their list, like Germany and Japan both made a, the list of comeback nations after World War II. But guess what was number one on their list of comebacks? The number one comeback of all time, according to Sports Illustrated, is Jesus Christ. And they wrote, quote, Jesus Christ is number one. Yeah, because he confounds his critics and stuns the Roman authorities with his resurrection. Jesus explained it like this, I am the resurrection and the life. And in the scripture, the four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, address four different types of people. Matthew addressed the Jewish nation. They were the religious people of the day. And he focused on the credentials that make Jesus the Messiah. Mark addressed the Romans, pragmatic people. And Mark concentrated on Jesus' works and his actions. Luke addressed the Greeks. They were the thinkers of the day. And he brought out the teachings of Jesus in ways they could comprehend. And John addressed everybody. He shows us all of Jesus' divinity in his gospel. Each of these writers gives us a reason why Christ's resurrection matters. Let me ask you a question. How can something that happened 2,000 years ago impact your life today? Where you're seated right now in life, how does the resurrection have bearing on who you are in our world? What does the resurrection have to do with my life? Can the resurrection actually impact my life? Well, there are four great comebacks that Christ gives to all of us. And because Jesus lives, you can live. Because Christ came back, you can come back. And from each of the four Gospels, we'll look at the four great comebacks you're assured of because of what Jesus did on the first Easter Sunday morning. Matthew, I can come back from despair. That's what Matthew teaches us. Because of the resurrection, I get back from despair. In America today, more and more people are struggling with hopelessness, despair, and deep discouragement and asking, how do you bounce back in this culture? How do you bounce back in the economy? How do you bounce back from losing your house? How do you bounce back from a failed marriage? How do you bounce back from losing a loved one? How do you bounce back from broken relationship with your children? How do you bounce back in our culture? In other words, how do you make a comeback? And it doesn't look like the government's going to be all that helpful. 
Spider Bernie. Yeah. Yeah. In America, we thought we could count on the economy. Can you? We thought we could count on employment. How's that working? We thought we could count on the government being brilliant. Yeah. I don't know about you, but I'm watching this and I'm going, is this, this, this is it? This is the best we can do? Really? Americans are wondering, is there anything you can count on when you've discovered you can't count on anything in this culture? Have you tried customer service lately? Yeah. Is there any foundation solid enough to hold my life so it's stable and won't be torn apart? Matthew paints this picture of people in despair by introducing us to two deeply discouraged ladies. When Joseph had taken the body, he wrapped it in a clean linen cloth, and he laid it in his new tomb, which he had hewn out of the rock, and rolled a large stone against the door of the tomb, and departed. And Mary Magdalene was there, and the other Mary, sitting opposite the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary were sitting around in the graveyard, staring at a tomb. That's discouragement. The next morning comes, and they said, well, let's go back to the graveyard and spend more time there today. And once more, they head to the graveyard. They're not looking for Jesus. They're not expecting anything to happen because they're totally hopeless after what they've witnessed three days before, the crucifixion, the brutal crucifixion of Jesus. They're filled with despair. They're going to go sit there and watch the tomb again for another whole day. And then everything changes. After the Sabbath, as the first day of the week began to dawn, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat on it with an exclamation point and said, How's that look, Rome? Hmm? And the women, and the angel answered and said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He's not here, for he is risen, as he said. Come see the place where the Lord lay. He was gone. And here's the message that replaces despair with hope. The angel said these words. He is not here. He is risen just as he said. Those three words, he has risen, are the reason one billion people gather every weekend to celebrate and worship and honor Jesus. Why? He has risen. Those three words separate Jesus from every other religious leader in history. Pick any of them. Joseph Smith, Muhammad, L. Ron Hubbard, Jim Jones. They've all got one thing in common. You can go to their grave. They're still there. You go to Jesus' grave, he's not there. Why? He is risen. When you step into that tomb that's there in there, Jerusalem, and you look at the slabs, and you look at the empty place, and know my Savior lives. What is it about these three words that give people of every generation hope? People have not gathered for 2,000 years and said, you know, the stock market has risen It has risen indeed. People have not gathered to say the employment rate has risen or gross domestic product has risen. 
We don't greet each other saying, General Motors has risen. (laughs) Or the value of my 401k has risen. No, but people all over the world gather each Sunday proclaiming, Christ is risen. And that one fact replaces despair with hope. Because Jesus is risen from the grave, people discover finally there's something I can rely on. Why is that a big deal? Think about what attracts one billion people to church every Sunday. Well, when you're attending a life-giving, God-honoring, Holy Spirit-anointed, Bible-teaching church, the average person who walks in, no matter what condition they're in, would say after they've worshipped the living God, after they've been taught the Word of God, can generally walk out with more hope than when they came. A well-known counselor once said that when a couple comes to see him, no matter how damaged their marriage is, even if it's 100% damaged. He said, I've only got one goal. If I can get that couple to show a 10% improvement, I know they can make it. Because when somebody gets 10% improvement, they acquire hope. The truth is, when somebody gets hope, anything is possible. The resurrection of Christ fuels hope. And when you get hope, anything is possible in your life, in your marriage, with your children, with your employment and your future, if you have hope, anything is possible. But without hope, it doesn't matter what you have accumulated. Nothing is possible. These women walked to the tomb hopeless, filled with despair. They heard the news that Christ was risen, and they walked away filled with hope. Jesus is alive. And right then, Anything became possible for those women, and they spread that news like fire. Matthew says, because of Christ's resurrection, you too can come back from despair. Mark says, I can come back from defeat. And we've all suffered both despair and defeat. In the book of Mark, we learn that because of the resurrection, defeat is not the end. You can come back from a setback. The young mother had two rambunctious, terrorized-the-town kind of boys, an 8-year-old and a 10-year-old. The reputation around the community grew to the place where she thought, anything that bad ever happens in our town, my sons are probably in the middle of it somewhere. When the pastor moved into the community, she heard he was really good with the kids. So she met with him and said, I can't do anything with my children would you just please take a shot at them and see if you can get anywhere with them? And he said he would and asked their ages, and she told him. And then, and then the pastor said, send your 8-year-old in to see me first in the morning. And after I'm done with him later in the day, in the afternoon, <clears throat> send me your 10-year-old. So several blocks away, she sends the 8-year-old in the morning, and he goes into the pastor's office, and he sits down. And the little boy was nervous, understandably so, The pastor is a big guy with a very deep bass voice. And he comes in and he says to the kid rather sternly, Young man, where is God? Little kid's jaw dropped. Didn't say anything. The pastor said even more sternly with a bigger voice, Young man, I said, Where is God? Then the kid's eyes got even bigger and he sat there frozen. So the pastor got up, walked over to the child, shook his finger in his face and said, Young man, where is God? The boy screamed, jumped up, ran out of the office, ran all the way home, ran into his house, ran through the living room, 
ran into his bedroom, opened the closet door, jumped into the closet, and closed the door behind him. His 10-year-old brother came in and opened the closet and said, Hey, what happened? And the little brother said, Man, we're in big trouble now. God is missing, and they think we did it. (laughs) So the apostle Peter could easily identify with that story. Peter failed badly, and he fell pretty hard. And Peter was the one who flexed his spiritual muscles, and he pulled Jesus over, and he said, Hey, look, look, the other disciples, they're wimps. You can count on me. I've got your back. I'll be there for you. Yeah, we've all heard that, haven't we? However, Peter wasn't there for him. Peter denied Jesus not once, not twice, three times, swearing an oath. And the little girl scares him. He runs away, leaves Jesus, and he goes back to his former way of life just when Jesus needed him most. A few days later, Peter hears the message, Jesus is alive. If you're Peter, is this really good news or bad news? You can imagine the other disciples telling Peter, you're toast, man. You're done. But most of us have occasionally wondered the same thing. If Christ is alive, if truly the message of Jesus is a fact, and if I show up at church, beside the fact that the roof might not fall in, you know, it may or may not, am I going to find forgiveness? Are they going to condemn me? Am I going to be accepted? Am I going to be rejected? Do I have a future, or is God done with me? Is God just going to discard me? Two of the most encouraging words are tucked into the Gospel of Mark. And I know some of you have read it and some of you haven't. But here's what the angel said. Go, tell his disciples and Peter that he's going before you in the Galilee. And there you will see him as he said to you. This is right after the resurrection. The angel announces that Jesus is alive and wants to meet with his disciples. And the angel says, go tell his disciples. Then the next two words the angel speaks are, and Peter. Awesome. Because essentially the angel is saying, make sure you tell Peter that Jesus still loves him. Make sure you tell Peter that Jesus wants to meet with him. Make sure you tell Peter he has a future. Make sure you tell Peter he still matters to Jesus. And here's what Mark is saying. Christ's resurrection means that your past, no matter what it is, is not unforgivable. You cannot walk so far away from God that God can't reach you. There's a great story of the concert pianist named Paderewski. He was performing at a large concert hall, very ta- greatly talented individual on the keyboard. Her mother had brought to the concert her nine-year-old son because he wasn't all that excited about the piano lessons she was forcing him to take. And the kid was squeamish, didn't want to sit still, finally broke away and gets up onto the stage and makes it all the way to Paderewski's great concert piano. And the crowd's looking at this going, what's this, right? The boy sits down at the piano bench in front of everybody and starts playing chopsticks. The audience wondered, 
How's Paderewski going to respond to this kid going up on stage and jumping up on his piano? To their surprise, Paderewski looks out from behind the curtain, comes out on stage. Instead of being angry and, and dismissing this kid, he walks up to the piano, puts his arms around the boy and leans around him and starts playing an incredible accompaniment to chopsticks. And as Paderewski is playing, he whispers in the child's ear, you're doing great. Just keep going. Just keep going. And whether or not that story happened exactly the way that it's been described, Jesus Christ's life really did happen. And what Jesus did for Peter, he's ready to do for you as well. He shows up in your life not to condemn you, but to wrap his arms around you. That's what Peter discovered. That's what we discover and experience from God today Every Sunday, especially on Easter, you can bounce back from defeat. Comebacks are God's specialties. Luke says, I can come back from doubt. Just as you bounce back from despair and defeat, you bounce back from doubt. Luke is the gospel written to the Greeks. They were philosophers. And he's writing to the thinkers and the skeptics. And Luke says the angels put it like this. Why do you seek the living among the dead? He's not here. He's risen. And some people are just wired to be skeptics. No matter what's going on, they're skeptical. If this is your first time in church, you might be surprised that seated around you are people who were one time unchurched, one time agnostic, be- belonged to other pathways they thought were going to take them to God. They thought the Bible was full of myths and misconceptions and errors, and they thought there's no evidence to prove that Christ rose from the dead. And they were hopeless. They were in doubt and unbelief and full of fear. And Luke wrote a sequel to the gospel called The Acts of the Apostles. And in it, he says this in Acts 1, after his suffering, Jesus' passion, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. After Jesus' suffering, he gave many what? convincing proofs. Hmm. It comes off of a Greek word that Luke was using to speak to the skeptical Greeks. Tekmeriois. Tekmeriois. Which means legal admissible evidence. Jesus was trying to say, never believe anything without solid evidence. And here's the way Luke records it. While they were still talking about this, talking about what? The disciples were gathered in the upper room. They're talking about Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. Jesus himself stood among them and said, peace be with you. He just appears in the room. And they're startled and frightened. They're thinking, this is a ghost. And he said to them, why are you troubled? And why do, you, why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones, as you see I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement, they were overwhelmed with so much joy and amazement, they were having a hard time believing what their eyes were looking at. He asked them, do you have anything here to eat? (laughs) Some of you are thinking that now. Anything to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it in their presence, right in front of them. 
And he said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Look at the last sentence. Everything must be what? Fulfilled. That was written in the law of Moses, the first five books of the Old Testament, as well as the prophets and the Psalms. So there's a little background information for this, because when you study this, the evidence for the resurrection is so compelling. It's difficult not to believe it. I mean, you almost have to have negative faith to, be, to, to comprehend that this didn't happen, which means we are Christian for two reasons. It's true what happened, and it works. It has impact in the way we live life. There's overwhelming evidence. The Old Testament was written hundreds of years before Jesus is born. And what's stunning about the Old Testament is Psalm 22 and Isaiah 53 Those two passages describe in detail the crucifixion of the Son of God, written hundreds of years before Jesus is born. And you want to know what's amazing about that? When the Old Testament was written, crucifixion was not even invented as a means of putting someone to death. So here come skeptics who want to say, the Old Testament was written after Christ's crucifixion. That's how Isaiah and the psalmist could write about his crucifixion because they they wrote after the crucifixion. So the whole thing's a fraud. So the skeptics have another problem. In 1947, Cumran, a young Bedouin shepherd boy, is doing what shepherd boys do when they get bored. He, He takes a rock, and he throws it up into a cave nearby, and he hears a crash when the rock hits. He thinks, well, something's in there. So he climbs up. And if you've ever been in that part of Israel, and you get to see where that was, it's an amazing sight. And he climbs up and he finds the pottery and in those pieces of pottery, these ancient scrolls. It took almost a decade to discover everything that was in that cave. And now that's regarded as one of the single greatest archaeological finds in all of our history. That shepherd boy found what we now know as the Dead Sea Scrolls. After that happened, scientists went to work and they came to the realization that these scrolls had been hidden away from the Romans long before Jesus was born. The scrolls had been written hundreds of years earlier. They were stashed there for posterity, for people who would come along later. That's us. And they unrolled the scrolls, and the scientists, in a heart-stopping moment, because they're getting ready to look at Isaiah 53, which is on one of these scrolls, and it's either going to describe the crucifixion, or they would have proof that it's a scam, because this crucifixion is being written about it later, after the fact. So they unrolled the great scroll of Isaiah that's now there hundreds of years before Jesus is born. And you know what they discover? The description of the crucifixion is in there. In Isaiah 53, word for word, just as your Bible reads. Today, when you have an opportunity to look at any fragment of the Dead Sea Scrolls, man, it's absolutely astounding how God has preserved the truth of his word for generation after generation. That every time an archaeological study has been made and discovery found, it backs up what the scripture says. So because of the resurrection, you get to bounce back from doubt. You make a comeback and have solid faith instead of doubt. And John says, I can come back from death. And that's a comeback. Whoa. Whoa. Finally, because of the resurrection, I come back from death itself. There's a a story about three guys in their conversation 
talking about their funeral that would be coming up in probably a few years for each of them. And what, what do you want said at your funeral? What do you want said at your funeral? And, and the first guy says, I want them to say, you know, he was a great guy. He was just a good friend and a great guy. And the second guy says, and I want them to say, he was a wonderful husband, a fantastic father. The third man said, you know what I want? I want them to say, hey, look, he's moving. <laughs> so how does life after death work? How does that work? Jesus said in John 11, and he said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Jesus' words to dear friends whose brother is lying behind a rock stone in a tomb about to be resurrected by the one who brings life. Whosoever lives and believes in me will never die. I am the resurrection and the life. Jesus is saying if you're connected to him, because he rose, you're going to get to rise. Because he lives forever, you get to live forever if you're connected to him. Nobody wants to just dwell on the topic of death. It's not an optimistic idea to conceive of and think of all the time. That's negative. Our culture doesn't really like to think about death very much. But look at all the people around you here in church today. You know what everybody here has in common? In 100 years, everybody here will be dead. And only a fool would spend their entire life knowing something is going to happen, but not preparing for it. There is a heaven. There is a risen Savior this is all reality because it's real. Your future can be secure. And John is writing to everybody, including us. He focuses on the divinity of Jesus, that he is really who he claims to be. Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Jesus is showing all of us that by believing in him, we have life even after death. And I think of the kinds of things people say on their deathbeds. I've heard some of them in the years of my serving. Some of them come out of the mouths of very distinguished people. One of them, it's recorded of him, Dwight L. Moody, the famous pastor and founder of Moody Bible Institute. He had his whole huge family around him as he was breathing his last. And he said these words on his deathbed. I see the faces. I see the faces. And then he had named two of his children who had died earlier in life. His son said to him, Father, you're dreaming. And Moody looked at him and said, I'm not dreaming. I've been within the gates, and I've seen the kids' faces. This is my coronation day, and it's glorious. With that, he closed his eyes and joined his kids in the presence of Jesus. The great missionary said this on his deathbed, I go with gladness of a boy bounding away from school, ready for summer vacation. And then he was gone. 
That's the kind of confident assurance you can have when you're connected to Jesus Christ in fellowship. And he's my Lord, Jesus Christ. He's not just Lord on Sunday and when I leave at the end of a Sunday, I put him in a little box and lock it and put him on the shelf and tell him, I'll see you next week. No, he's not just Lord of Sabbath. He's Lord of life. When I stay connected with him, I have confident assurance because he rose. I get to rise also. That's good news. That's good news. In John's gospel we read, now this is eternal life that, you, that you, they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. This is eternal life. You know him. So think about it. There are two sides to this message. On one side, we talked about the despair of our culture and defeat and doubt and death itself in issues that all of us face. It kind of feels like our country right now. It's no longer what was envisioned by those who planted good seed in the ground. And others have come along and lowered the bar and opened opportunities for everybody to interpret freedom in their own point of view rather than out of a biblical principle that teaches us by these standards, God blesses a people. So it's difficult in our culture today to just in the natural overcome despair and defeat, doubt and death. Today, people are filled with despairs at levels I can't imagine that I've seen anything like it in my lifetime. People feel defeated. They're racked with doubt, not knowing what to count on. What can you depend on? Somebody gives me their word. Tomorrow they'll change it. Scared to death. But because of the resurrection, I'm not stuck in despair. I can live with hope. When I have hope, anything is possible. I don't live a life of defeat. I can experience forgiveness. Praise God. I can make a comeback. I don't have to live in doubt. I have confident faith. I can overcome even death. And I can know my future is secure. Because of the resurrection, all of that is ours. Because of the promise of Jesus, who never breaks his word. So you know what we need to do on this Easter Sunday? Everybody needs to jump to your feet and give the best thanks to God for his victorious hope through Jesus Christ. Say, thank you, Lord.